Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, we, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That sweet peace that we have when we come to faith with God. When you finally put your faith in God and what he did through his son, there is a sweet peace that comes over your soul. It's hard to explain. It's beyond this world. All of a sudden, all the striving, all the struggling, all the fighting against God. When you finally surrender and go, okay, you really want to give me everlasting life? Okay, I'll take it. And you receive that gift. There is a sweet peace that comes over your spirit. And it's just, oh, I'm not fighting against God anymore. We're on the same team now. But he says, when you have that sweet peace with God through our Lord Jesus, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We get introduced into grace. And grace is simply unmerited favor. Grace, by definition, is called unmerited favor. In other words, you can't earn it. He just goes, I want to give you my favor. I want to give you my favor, not because you deserve it, but because of who I am. What kind of God are we dealing with here? What's it say about him in 1 John chapter 4? God is love. Earlier in 1 John, he says, God is light. You start to learn the attributes of our God, and you go, he's a pretty cool guy. And today we're going to go further into who he is, because it helps us to know who we're relating to. It's kind of like learning about your ball team. You, you learn about the players, the individual players, their strengths, their weaknesses, what they're great at. Well, I want you to know what God is great at because this next verse says, once we obtain our introduction into faith, this faith in which we now stand, then we exult in the hope of the glory of God. You know what exult means? It means exceedingly leaping for joy because your team did great. Literally, from the Greek, means to jump just for joy. Like the fanatic at the ball field. Their teammate is, yeah, that's my team. Only thing is, is instead of exceedingly leaping for joy over your team doing good, what are we exceedingly leaping for? For the glory of God. What's the big deal? The glory of God. I said, if you knew the Bible, just a little taste of it. If you went to the last book, the book of Revelation, we get like a preview of heaven. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us everything about heaven, but it does give some pretty good previews. And one of the previews that we read about in the book of Revelation is a description of the glory of God, his glory. When we talk about the glory of man, we're like, that guy's so great. He's the greatest football player. He's the greatest wrestler, whatever. And we describe their attributes. I want to describe to you some attributes that the Bible tells us about God. And you tell me whether God is greater or your most favorite football player or wrestler or, or MMA fighter is greater than the guy I'm going to read to you about. Because if we'll jump up and down for our favorite sports figure, is it okay to exceedingly rejoice over a God who is described with, I think, a much greater description? Let me show it to you. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 22 says, I saw no temple for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the lamb, they were its temple. And 
It says the city had no need of sun nor of moon. It didn't need it to shine on it for the glory of God illuminated it. Its lamp was the lamb. Here we have God and his son illuminating God's glory. Now it says God's glory and the lamb. They just give the light to the whole place. But it's not just ordinary light, like sunlight. If you go to Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Immediately I was in the Spirit. This is John the Apostle. And behold, there was a throne standing in heaven. It was like jasper stone and sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow about the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Now, who's the one seated on the throne? This is God. And his appearance is brilliant, this light, but in these colors. Anyone seen an emerald rainbow? When our family went on the cruise in around the islands, we went to Kauai, and we got to see our dear brother. He's a helicopter pilot, and he took us on a helicopter ride around Kauai. And the ladies in the office told us, he's the rainbow whisperer. This guy can do this magical thing with his helicopter. He gets the helicopter right in the right places in the canyons where the mist is, and he gets his helicopter into the mist where the sunlight is behind the mist. And when you look out of the helicopter window, you see, we call it um, liquid sunshine. It's just like misty air, and you're hovering down into it. And you know what happens below you? You have a rainbow. It's a full, complete 360-degree circle. He goes, can you see where we are? And if you look closely down below, you see a shadow of the helicopter right in the center of that big bow. I'm telling you, it's breathtaking. And it was great for me because I knew this verse about God's throne being in the center, this emerald rainbow. I mean, this is just his glory, the glory of God. Is this going to be a spectacular sight? If you read on, all the creatures of heaven will fall down before him and cry, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I mean, you are worthy of all praise. You talk about having serious worship going on. They'll be like, wow, he's the greatest. And they're going to all fall down and praise him. More praise will go to God than any man we've ever seen praise down here. When you get introduced to grace, this faith, what we stand in, you now get to know we got a really great God that we serve. And he's so great, we can even jump up and down and go, he's that great. Because if somebody is that excited about sports or their team, they'll talk about it because they're excited about it. Man, did you hear about our team? Did you hear how they did? Did you hear that great play that so-and-so made? They'll go on and on and on. But see, if you do that about God, they go, you're a fanatic. I don't know how to tell you this, but there's fanatics all over for all sorts of things. And if I'm going to be fanatic about anything, I want to be a fanatic about the glory of God. Because some people, when they talk about him, they make God so boring, who wants to go visit with him anyway? If I listen to some of the descriptions I've heard about God, I'm thinking, yeah, what's the big deal? Paul says, you got introduced to faith by grace. And you get to stand in that unmerited favor. And you get to now exceedingly leap up and down for joy at the glory of God. We have a great God. If we would just talk about him the way he's talked about in the scripture, people would be going, no, I want to check that out. I mean, anyone here down for seeing an emerald rainbow all the way around? But see, I think a lot of Christians are short-selling the Lord. It's not that big a deal. Just God. Wait a minute. 
the Bible says that he measures the whole span of the universe from the tip of his pinky to his thumb in the span of his hand. How big is he? He goes, forms the whole universe like a basketball. The entire universe. I'm talking all the galaxies, everything included. He goes, I got it. And you learn that song when you're little. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. Remember that? That's from the Bible. That's how big he is. When we talk about the greatness of our God, we're talking great. The Bible says in the psalm that all of creation testifies of his glory. You see his handiwork in the heavens, it says, in the sea beneath. You look at all the stuff what is made, and you know there's got to be a really great creator to have such an awesome creation. I'm always blown away when they go in those underwater world things with a super deep submarine, and they go, we found some life that we didn't even know existed at the bottom of the deepest trench. And they're like, this thing sees no light and lives in under so much pressure. God, you made stuff. It's amazing. Our creator made such an awesome creation. It says it just testifies of how great our God is. But now Paul is going to describe an exaltation that we also get to participate in, which I wish he would have left out. Tribulations. Woohoo! In the Greek, it's lipsis. It's to press under pressure, great pressure. It's the process of putting something through the, like the wine press. I mean, to get the good wine, you got to crush the grape. You got to smash it. To get some of the good stuff out of our lives, God puts us through the pressure cookers. He presses in on us through tribulations. Did any of you just this morning wake up and say, I exult in my tribulations. I'm jumping for joy. This is such a good one. I feel pressure from every side. Not me. And you know what? I'm going to tell you, if I stop right there, you wouldn't be able to exalt. You can't exalt in tribulation if you don't know the rest of the verse. But if you read a little farther, you'll find out how come you're able to exalt. See, Paul is one of those guys builds on an idea. You were introduced to faith that saves you. It's a faith that makes you right with God. Righteousness is granted to you by grace. You didn't have to earn it. God says, I got a present. I want to give you everlasting life. Would you like it? And if you say, yes, I'll take it. That's all you do to get a present. You just receive it. He goes, here's a present. Anyone want everlasting life? I mean, I know most of you already signed up. But the rest of you that have it, it's a free gift God is offering you. It wasn't free for him. It cost him the life of his son, his only begotten son. But he paid that great price so he could offer it freely to us. If we would just but by faith receive it. And it does take a little faith on our part to accept something from someone when they're saying, here, I want to give you something. You might not realize it, but you exercise faith every time someone offers you something. What happens if some fellow comes up and says, I, I got something I want to give you, and he offers it to you, and you're sitting there inside going, I don't know. Does he really want to give it? Is, what's the catch? No catch. Just got to take it. Wait a minute, nobody gives out something for nothing, right? We have all the lines, don't we? No such thing as a free lunch. No such thing as a free present. If they go on and explain, hey, it wasn't free. It cost someone else, but they were willing to pay it so that you could have it as a gift. Would you take it? Now, some people won't. They're pride. I ain't taking something I didn't earn. By definition, can you earn salvation? No. So get over your pride and take it, okay? 
I mean, sometimes that's the only thing stopping some men. That we're prideful. And God has to deal with us and say, knock it off. Every man has to be humble enough to say, I'll take the gift. We all have to get over our own pride and accept the gift. And when we do, and we learn about how great our God is, we can exult in him. But to exult in this next thing, this tribulation thing, this pressing that comes upon our lives, you need to read to the outcome of the pressing. Or else you won't jump up and down when you're being pressed. When you're going and being tribulated, you won't. But if you read what tribulation brings, in the old King James, I learned this verse. It said, tribulation worketh patience. New American Standard here, it reads, tribulation brings perseverance. Perseverance is the newer word for patience. In King James day in 1611, if you said had patience, you were saying persevere. Hang in there, right? Hang in there. But the person that has gone through pressings in life, that has gone through hardships, that has gone through these tribulations, something gets worked in them, a patience to them, a perseverance. And it says, and when you get that perseverance, it says that perseverance brings a proven character. No, King James says it brings experience. A person with experience. How sweet is that? A person who has experience or patience. They've had the years. They've had the grind. They've had the problems. And they've seen God's faithfulness to bring them through. When they face some tribulation, they don't go, oh, no. They're just like, hey, look, God came through all the other times. He'll come through on this one. And you know what it says, the quality that they possess? Paul says it right here. The one who has proven character, this experience, that proven character experience brings hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The people that have gone through trials and endured and God has worked in them this patience God has given them that experience, that proven character that led to that patience. And then that led to hope. A hope in a God, it says, who does not disappoint. If I'm going to preach to you anything, I would tell you, if you're hoping in man, has anyone ever had a, a fellow person on this planet let you down? See, I, I'm telling you that if you would let God work in your life, even through the pressing what he will do in you, He's only pressing to bring out the good stuff. He's squeezing away some of the bad stuff. You know, when you make wine, you have to do that. Press the grape, right? Crush it down. Do you keep all of the squished parts? No, you take that stuff and you let it to set in the vat. And what happens with all the skins and the pulp, it sinks over time in the top part, the clear liquid that comes up to the top. That's the juicy part. That's the part you want. That's the part that will become the good wine. But the stuff what is in the bottom, the dregs, it's called, that stuff gets thrown back in the field like fertilizer. There's nothing you need. And in our lives, if you can receive it, God puts us through a pressing that is going to remove some stuff what is no good from the stuff that's good. To make us like the good stuff. He's trying to make you good. But to do it, it's a refining process. And you're going to have a little pressing. 
little tribulation. Now, remember in John's gospel in chapter 16, Jesus said, in this world, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Don't worry about it. Did they press on Jesus, do you think? Did he go through any tribulation for us? And the Bible says, whenever you grow weary of well-doing, just consider what they did to Christ. I mean, what did he do wrong? And they hated him. They crucified him. They beat him. I don't know, as a Christian, sometimes I have a false pretense. I think, well, I'll be a Christian and everything will go good for me and I won't have any problems because I won't be the jerk I used to be because God is refining me and making me better. And then I think I'm just getting better than I've ever been and I get the worst jerk in my face going nuts on me right before service. Those of you who don't believe me, come early. You'll see. And God goes, so you think you've really been improved? Why do you want to kill that guy? Well, he's threatening that girl over there. He says, why don't you pray for her? Boy, he works on me. You can't stand up here and preach to people about God and think God is going to let you off the hook. It doesn't work like that. He goes, oh, really? You want them to be transformed? Let's start with you. And he works us over, doesn't he? You know, we say we want to be a light to our family. And they're going, I don't see it in you. If they don't see it in us, hint, maybe we got a little too much soot on the glass. Maybe we got too much sin smudging up the glass. And all they're seeing is light that is barely able to shine. I think one of the most important things we learn as Christians is to start with us. God, clean me up first. Clean up my glass. Make me a vessel that you can just shine through. So when people look at me, they go, wow, I see Jesus in you. But to do that, they need to see less of me, a cleaner version of me, so they see him inside. And when we let him do that, when we let the Lord work in us, then people start coming up to you, man, you got a glow about you. And you know what? When they do that, I just go, that's the Lord. What you're seeing is the light of the Lord in me. If it's never happened to you, you need to clean your glass. Because God's light is not lost its brightness. He just ain't shining through you. There's something dirty in your life that is keeping the light from coming out. Do like David when he sinned with Bathsheba. God created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. Cleanse me. Wash me. And will he do that if you ask that? What does it say in 1 John 1, 9? If you confess your sin, God's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He will clean you up. And the cleaner that you let God make you, you might start going around hearing people say, wow, what a brightness that you have. What a light. There's a light in you. And they have different ways to express it, but they see it. They're like, I see a light in you. And if you've never had that happen, please do this prayer today. Say, God, cleanse me that you could shine through me. It is a little acid test of how we're doing in Christ. Maybe you don't even realize it. Maybe there's things that are smudging up your glass. Maybe there's some things that you've been struggling with, and they've really put the blackness on the glass around you. You don't see it. And people don't see Jesus in you, even though he's in there. Because they're just seeing the black. Let God clean you. When you do this, guys, you start realizing, 
hey, why am I going through this pressing? What's God up to? You know what I think he's up to? He's up to pointing out we need some glass cleaning. We need a little bit of removing of some bad stuff, squeezing away the dredged stuff from the bottom. We're going to get rid of that stuff, and we're going to make you into some good, good wine, the good stuff that people will go, wow, look at that. Pure, clean. And this is something that is beautiful. And I, I can't tell you that as a new Christian, I exceedingly jump for joy every time I felt God was putting me through tribulation. Did any of you do that? You went, wow, tribulation. Yay, let's just jump up and down. Like a happy sports fanatic. I am so happy. I'm exulting in my tribulation. No, I didn't. But when I found out what it brings, that God wanted to work these things in me. He wanted to give me perseverance. He wanted to give me a proven character. And lastly, he wanted to give me hope. And the hope of God will not disappoint, it says. How powerful is hope? It's super powerful. You know how this was illustrated to me as a young Christian? The assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel, Verde Valley, his name was Bill Elander. He was teaching a study to us high schoolers about hope and the power of hope. He goes, guys, I'm going to read you this university study. They were testing something about how long can a rat swim? And they put rats in this cylinder tubes, slick walls in water. They couldn't jump out, just filled like halfway full. So it's got real high and they drop the rat in there and they time them and they let them swim until they drown. They waited and timed a hundred rats how long that could swim. And they added up the times, divided by 100, averaged the time. And they figured out that these things could swim for like eight hours before they finally give up and drown. They got 100 more rats, and they took this 100 rats, and they put them in the water, and they let them go till they're right to where they're getting ready to drown. And as they went to go under, they lovingly reached in and carefully caught the rat, brought it up, dried it off, gave it food, put it back in the little warm incubator, comforted it, you know, rescued it. Only to put it back in the next day. But they put it back in the next day and they started the timer again. Now, I had just been swimming eight hours the day before. But this time it starts swimming and it swims for eight hours and it keeps looking out. So one of those plexiglass tube things keeps looking out, looking up. And it keeps swimming. And the guy's standing there timing, and the rat's looking up at him. And do you know that that rat goes on for 48 hours? 48 hours, two full days. Two 24-hour cycles doesn't stop swimming because every time it looks up, the guy is there with the timer, and that's the guy who rescued the rat before. And what is that rat doing? What changed? Hope. There's a guy right there who could rescue me. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. When they published this finding, it was titled The Power of Hope. Six times the endurance with just some hope. Six times. I want to teach kids about the hope what we have. How long can the hope of God carry us through the stuff what we face when we're struggling? I mean, how powerful is his hope? Well, I'll tell you what, it says, his hope does not disappoint. 
Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, celebratethelord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at amazinggracekona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona. Yeah.